G'day and welcome to another All About Occupation episode brought to you by the University of Brighton and Dr. Rebecca Twinley. This episode, we have John Knight in his topic, Digitally Occupied, Alienation, Autonomy and Resilience. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. <laughs> I decided to, uh, to, to join because she's barking a lot. Um, so, yeah, she'll probably run off in a minute. Um, so just a little bit around me and my where I kind of come to this um so i've always for some reason been interested in work um and apologies if i talk about occupational science and ot in a not as um informed way as i can um it's something that i've um naturally kind of progressed into from um from my work in design and my studies at Alto University um but as they say right going right back from you know when I, I made a terrible mistake went to art school um I've always been really interested in work and productivity and people's experience of work I, I'm not really sure why um and I've always been interested in creativity as well um again going right back to kind of art school um but not creativity just in terms of you know the, the kind of arts and the and 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 the way that people use creativity in the arts but really creativity embedded into into occupation really and, and experience so um work creativity and then also you know just always been into kind of subcultures for some reason as well so a bit of an odd mixture um but um just to start on my journey into occupation um as as i mentioned went to art school i worked in industry for 14 years and i worked in all different kind of aspects of um the creative industries and um ended up working in a small company um and again just by chance i kind of ended up being the kind of it person in this company even though i'm really not technically knowledgeable at all um and the interesting thing is that um in this company um although it was very advanced in the production process and the tools and technology um all of the people working in 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 the um place were very skeptical of using technology to help them with their jobs um and despite having all of these really advanced systems that, that could help them they they kind of refused and just used bits of paper and you know note notebooks and all of this kind of thing um and it kind of got me interested again always been interested in work but it kind of then became a question of well you know how is it that technology and work kind of go together um what are the difficulties and that that led to me uh studying human computer interaction which is really the psychology of technology and people in you not just in the work context but um a lot of hci um and i'm sure sure you know this and know the topic is really about understanding human activity in a work context what are the tools that people use what are the tasks that they um they need to carry out what are their goals and um although that's hci is mainly a kind of psycholo psychology based uh discipline it also has this really neat um tradition of participatory design which really comes from scandinavia and that's one of the reasons that i ended up at alto is because i believed at the time that um you know getting democratizing work 
technology, workplace technology, was something that uh, the Nordics and Scandinavia were particularly, um, there was a tradition there. Um, and then in, as I say, I kind of slightly <laughs> maybe made a mistake in thinking that because actually when I went to Alto, they, they were saying, right, all these people in the UK understand uh, the psychology of work much better than, than we do. Um, and there's also this tradition that I, I discovered for myself. I mean, all of it's been discovery from, from this through to occupation of the uh, Tavistock Institute and um, particularly, you know, well well known. I'm sure sure you you're all familiar with this. Um, the work of uh, Eric Triss, and um, you know, after the Second World War, he went in, started the Tavistock Institute, and looked at ordinary people's experience of work. And um, this was really quite a departure from. Um, the kind of time and motion Fordist ways of optimising work and the, the kind of atomization of work. And, and what Trist found is that um, in, in his studies of coal miners, that actually the work that people did was highly improvised and highly collaborative and um and and people kind had to to some level um were empowered to to define the way that they worked um so anyway it's just a little bit of background of where i went from kind of design and hci through to, to work studies um so then when i started my phd i obviously in a school of design um kind of took in and soaked up all of the design research literature and um and I, I found that there was a gap the the design research literature is very theoretical and as a practitioner um i found that there wasn't really much research studies into the work of designers now i appreciate appreciate that designers are not the most um exploited and uh you know exploited and you know hard off um sector of a workforce of people um but you know that's that's kind of where i am so for for good or bad i kind of decided that i would address this gap um and so this is where i started to look at how you study digital designers and the digital bit is important because um, unlike Trist, who could go into a coal mine and observe people and talk to them, um, you know, we're all working remotely. So the 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 atomization of kind of workforce is is makes the research more difficult in some ways. Um, but also the work is not physical labor, it's um, information, informational creative labor. So anyway, just a bit of background on on that. So um as i started in lockdown um i kind i i kind of got up to this point where i was thinking there's this gap um no one's really looking at the experience of doing design as a job um and i'd looked at all of these different theories um social practice theory was the most the kind of nearest that I could get to it, but I didn't really have like a framework for understanding and doing research around um, creative work, let's call it. Um, so I went through um, a series of kind of steps really um, to do that. And I, I did um, these spotlight studies tended to be like interviews and questionnaires. I'll go into that into a bit more detail and they helped me um, well, they didn't help me. They told me that actually um, the kind of work that digital designers, developers do um, is quite stressful because of agile. Um, so I looked into agile as a you know way of producing stuff. And some of the kind of structural elements of work. So although I kind of discarded social practice theory, some of the 
um, some of the kind of concepts, I guess, around structure and agency have kind of come through. So I guess now I kind of look at occupation as built on those two things. There's the structure, there's the kind of rules and norms around how work is done. But then there's the agency, um, not just of the humans involved in the work, but also the technology. Um, but anyway, in the top top of that, um slide there that's kind of preparation and then as i came into lockdown um i decided i would go into um a different level of research level maybe just different kind i'll do some diary study um research so i ran a, a full week diary study and i've done some and and this is where i go back to the kind of human computer interaction um, side of things using the kind of research methods and tools that I would do if I, as a practitioner so done experience sampling so that's where you would um, sample um, you know group of participants um, either time based at a particular time of the day um, or other some other kind of um, structure to mapping their experience um, then I use that data to create some dimensions around the work the occupational work experience which i'll show you and another thing that i've done a few times in my career which is collaborative writing um and weirdly enough when i was at art school one of the one of the people there was um, roy ascot um who oh. allegedly helped create the first ever I'm not even sure what you call it, multiple authored narrative. So he set up, he had a network of computers globally, uh, six different authors, and they, they wrote this probably awful story. Um, but it was quite, um, it was pre-internet, um, you know, so it's quite a innovative thing. And this idea of cl collaborative writing is something that I've kind of dipped into, again, as a practitioner, as a way of doing research. Um, but I found I, I used this method. So I, I'll show you some of the ways that I did this um, to get participants to write a narrative of their work experience. Um, and I found it a really good way of basically collecting data um, quite quickly and getting different perspectives from a from a pra practitioner, but also as a um, as a um, as a, from a work perspective. Um, and then a bit of reflective diary keeping, um, and then and I'll show you some of these. I involved the participants in some of the analysis as well. Um, Gosh, I'm only on slide two, aren't I? I'm going to have to hurry up. Anyway, so that's the methodology. Kind of done some studies to um, kind of set the context a little bit. And they were, again, mainly surveys, work, some workshops, um, mostly online. And that helped me to answer these kind of high level um, research questions about what is design work? Um, how does that impact people? Um, and how does it, how does, design fit into the broader context um, and that was quite a difficult thing to um, put a boundary around because um, because when you get to study work there's a tendency or a, a a line a line of direction that goes into um, economics and the exploitation of of workers and work studies um, and this is really where occupation came in to my thinking and it helped me avoid falling into that kind of rabbit hole of becoming too broad because again my interest in work is really at the level of the person doing the work their experience the the way that they do that um, and, the, and the kind of conflicts they have um, so occupation seemed like a good a more viable framework to study uh, the more granular aspects of, of doing work um, than other ones. Um, and I'm really grateful for Bex <laughs> helping me, you know, kind of go in that direction. And, and you know, as I said at 
the beginning or Beck said you know I'm not um I'm, I'm a designer I'm a practitioner I'm not an occupational person um so again I'm sorry if I'm used the wrong terms or you know take things in a slightly different direction but for me it's just a really useful framework to 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 study and understand work um so yeah so I went through this kind of funnel really of kind of quite broad studies down to this diary study um and I mentioned the collaborative writing. So um, what I did, and as, as I mentioned, I've done this a few times, was um, set up the diaries in Google. Um, and I put a structure in, um, which was basically the kind of classic five act narrative. Um, and I did that just because as a practitioner researcher, I find it's quite difficult if you just it's like a, a a blank page i think it's quite difficult so uh for participants to to give their their kind of content and ideas on the other hand maybe that five acts structure you know is 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 quite determined in the kind of data you get out um so five days everyone just worked around this structure and added their content um i'll just show you now a little bit of how that works so um it was really effective using google as a way of doing digital diary keeping um i, I won't show you any of the kind of individual entries but they were all anonymous so i just kept folders of each week um i also it meant that i could do the analysis within um the environment let's call it and um it was a really good way of working now i think i've also got some examples so so with the narrative um what it meant is that i basically could collected a whole corpus of um data words phrases that um that people used in the narrative and there's i think there's like nearly 1200 individual utterances and that meant that i could then do some what i again as a practitioner qualitative thematic coding um, of the corpus and could start to build some kind of uh, insight into that um so I covered all different kind of areas because the the data itself was so so rich. Um, oh, here we are. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. So, um, and it was a um, inductive analysis. So I was collecting data, but also doing some facets theming and identifying nodes within in the data. Um, and this is where. Um, I started to see how the data um, had a really good fit. Well, not really good, had a good fit, let's say, with um, Wilcox framework of being, doing, uh, becoming and belonging. Um, because what was in the data, some of it was clearly around tasks, the things that people were, were doing. Um, some of it was about their, the, balance between work and, and themselves and how they felt. Um, and some of it was around their belonging to a team. Um, so I started to get into building out um, the analysis around um, that kind of overall framework. I'll just go to, back to the slides. Sorry, there's so much to talk about, but anyway. so. Collaborative writing created a corpus that allowed me to then analyse what people had written um, and kind of moving forward a bit. Um, I've I've recently kind of cr created, documented this in terms of how, uh, at least in design, what's the kind of methodology that you would use to do research in this area? Um, and that's also as a practitioner. So diary studies were really good in getting this kind of insider view, but also being a practitioner, um, having a 
gain a out outsider view was 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 useful as well. So um, I, occupational inquiry is just a label I've really given to doing the work, you know, doing the same work as the participants, um, but having that kind of view from both sides I've found be to be really useful. And it's been a bit of a challenge because um, you know people talk about um, auto ethnography and you know ways of doing there's, there's, I can't remember the term but ways of doing research where you are the researcher and participant and I've always found it a bit not very convincing but I think having a combination of um, studies with uh, um, you know the participants and yourself um, is a, it works well um, but it's not only doing surveying I think the storytelling co-creation of the stories and the accounts so I talk about like accounts of practice what's uh what how would you describe practice in a in in, in a kind of narrative um is a, is a good way of capturing that um so anyway so just to summarize early kind of wide studies went into a diary study didn't really know too much what I would find um, I used this story building to um, develop a corpus that I then um, have used and I'll talk about the analysis and the results of that but it also helped me kind of think well if someone says how do you how what what's the methodology or how would you go about understanding work um, then you know going back to kind of tryst that's more the the kind of occupational inquiry where you are the you are the person who's doing the the work and you kind of understand it from that point of view but then also understanding work over time through diary studies um and doing these different activities i think work together so I'm, i've kind of got a bit of a funny structure with this presentation because I'm, I'm now going to just tell you about what i think i found from going through this process of funneling down to this more collaborative way of doing research um, and i've not shown this to anyone in your field so you might cry heresy and throw me out but but the data um so so there, there was a as i said not a really good fit there was a good fit with the data that i collected in the diary study for the in the wilcox framework but there was there was other stuff that i found or that was in the data that didn't quite fit um, um and the most strongest one was around knowing um and i'll talk about that in a minute but basically the data you know you could map it to things that were about what people were doing and how they felt and then having some concept of them in the future and where they're going and, and being related within a, uh, a, a group of other workers. Um, but other things that were in the data that didn't fit was that actually the doing, um, there was good and bad. So the bad kind of side of doing was where there was a lot of stress and conflict in some situations and uh, lack of structure and ambiguity uh, and when it's good it's this kind of flow experience where you know people are just really engrossed in what they're doing and you know it's time disappears that kind of experience and similarly with becoming and belonging um, I at least in the studies that I've done and the participants that I had was more specific so becoming um, was quite um, strongly correlated with a sense of meaningfulness so um, doing work that didn't really seem to contribute or to add meaning to people's individual lives but also to where they see themselves going was seen to be negative uh similarly work that was really meaningful and um aligned with people's um beliefs and goals you know was was good um so i'll go a bit more into this now um it's just i think i'm okay on time so so basically doing this stuff 
I believe, think I have a have some insights into the structure of creative work really or digital designers work uh, I'm not sure whether that whether it's the same similar or completely unique from other areas of information workers experience um, but just to go through that kind of funnel the early studies that I did were mainly um, that quite concrete it's like what kind of things do you do you know are you doing managing or are you doing selling or are you doing uh, making prototypes or development you know so I was just trying to understand what people did uh, and unsurprisingly you know a lot of a lot of especially with seniority a lot of the doing actually becomes more managing than practice um, or that's probably the wrong way of saying it more of the work becomes managing than uh, the more kind of hands-on let's say activities and and as we get into the diary study data um, what came out was these facets that were about the kind of the different types of projects essentially I call them call them missions um, but it work isn't just one you know kind of a homogenous thing it's actually you know like all different kinds of work um, and this kind of idea of middling tweak and strategic as I ended up calling it missions I'll talk about that in a in a second similarly with the roles that people have um, people's roles um, both in terms of the their ability to be autonomous and to be resilient um, and their connection um, is is completely varied you know and it depends on many different factors many of which are outside of the control of the, the individual um, and I think I've kind of got a bit of a bit of granularity of, of where those kind of pressure points are um, and then some on the on the kind of balance between those things so I mentioned mission and um, the reason that I'm, I talk about this is because um, one of the big things that I found well <laughs> one of the things I found was that different kinds of work are more or less uh, prone to imbalance and strategic missions so like really big pieces of work tend to be well resourced and managed and planned and not ambiguous and they tend to be more more good for people um, and similarly what are called tweaks which is you know very small pieces of work it might be just changing a line of code or uh, making some content changes to something is so small it's it's easy and satisfying so the big and the small are good kind of sized pieces of of work activity the the, the bad ones are what I call middling missions and that's where um, you know there's all these assumptions and lack of alignment and um, politics and conflicting priorities between different teams and these are the ones that really um, you know bring people down you know um, so I've focused on in the later bit of this research on how to help um, practitioners manage working in these middling missions better um, and I use dad's army because it's you know uh, it's that, that kind of <laughs> it's that kind of demographic where these projects are you know really chaotic um, and it's it's the same kind of thing it's just being pulled in different directions um, so that is really a layer in how I communicate the more complex things which are what are the what's the occupation what are the kind of levers within the occupational experience and as I mentioned um, probably too quickly you know all, all of this is especially these middling pro missions are built on agile development and some of my early research was all about agile and agility is almost 
I don't know, 99.99% um, in the research proposed as a positive progressive way of working. Um, and that's partly because 99.9% .9 of the people doing research on Agile are um, engineers and scientists and computer scientists. And from that standpoint, Agile is brilliant. But from those early studies and through to the diary study, I found that um, Agile actually creates a lot of conflict. Um, and the reasons for that, and I mentioned, you know, the different kinds of missions and the more the ones in the middle being the more difficult ones um, is pace. So agile is like all about working as fast as you can. Um, and that that, produce, that produces imbalance. Similarly, um, misunderstanding about people's roles, both externally to the individual and within themselves um, is a source of imbalance. Um, and this is where the kind of autonomy um, issue comes up because in the in the kind of hierarchy let's call it of um, agile work designers and I haven't really quite worked this out agile uh, designers tend to be the least empowered and the least uh, in control of the kind of direction of missions um, compared to say developers and other roles um, and then the relatedness is kind of like a balancing factor because within agile pods people get a lot of agency and um you know good good feelings from working with people but you know it can can also go the other way um and then on the mission side so you know having challenge is again a double-edged sword um if it's too too unstructured and ambiguous and too big a challenge it starts to become difficult um so all of these factors missions what people do the roles that people have within the missions uh who they're working with and the velocity of the work um all has potentially good and bad um, impacts on on what people do and how, how they feel about it. Um, so in the diary study, I using the experience sampling method, ESM, which is used in HCI, I elicited um, self reports on pe how people were feeling in different, um, you know, it's kind of a random sample because it's over one week. Um, and people working in all different, you know, big, medium size and small um, missions. And these uh, nodes were something that I'd iterated through from the early studies. I knew that there was, well, I knew, <laughs> I, I believe there was something around control and empowerment and disempowerment that, um, that kind of affected people's sense of balance. Um, so I iterated it and in the first week of the diary study, I gave um, the participants a fixed list and with one option to add um, a, a, a descriptor. So something that they, they described how they felt in work um, that um, that wasn't in the list. And, and the list was pretty stable. There's only a couple of um, the descriptors changed and I haven't really done very much with this since but basically it, it's a framework for saying okay well you know how you feel at the moment in your work you know are you feeling more alienated or more aligned is it boring or exciting so you know there's 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 potential to use this and I don't know how generalizable the descriptors are prob probably not very much um to map where people are um in 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 that uh, spectrum of of low to high and obviously you know it's com complicated because for different individuals and different times you know those what what might be positive um may in different contexts not not be so so good but at least it gives a hopefully a framework for uh, for kind of understanding that um, so then on to knowledge. So when I did the, uh, sorry, just getting back. 
when I did the collaborative writing um, and I mentioned that there was a reasonable fit to Wilcox um, the thing that came out quite strongly other than the more structural stuff was on the agency of individuals in work and the thing that came out very strongly and I don't know whether this is just um, because of the cohort that I was doing the research with or whether it's a kind of information worker thing um, but were these the resources that people used to do the work based on knowledge um, and again this was a bit of a difficult one because I know that you know I can't claim to identify types of knowledge so I'm not really sure where that is but at the same time the data was so um, strongly um, aligned to these four different areas of knowledge and I could subsequently go back to my previous studies I've done a study on um, senior practitioners uh, so people who've been doing design for you know 10 20 years and interestingly these facets of knowing mapped to levels of seniority and if I I'll just try and explain that a bit more. Um, they've got these weird names because when I I, I, I was doing uh, thematic coding um, and I, I these groups appeared and facets within them, um, but they didn't have um, I, I couldn't label them in in English language. Um, there was no kind of clear um, words to describe this um, group of of themes. Uh, the only thing that I found similar, actually, weirdly enough, goes back to um, ancient Greeks and um, I can't remember his name, but uh, or someone mapped out different kinds of knowledge and it was phronesis and different, you know, there's a kind of ancient Greek thing on this. Um, but you know that's that doesn't really help you know either in terms of validating it or naming it so I just, I just kind of made these names up really um so the four different kinds of knowledge that i found in the data the first one was what i call ken which is it's about theory and, and again i don't know how generalizable this is but in in for designers having some knowledge about um, the theories of design um, it's not a very important thing but people do think like that you know if they they think about the kind of tradition heritage the ideas concepts that are in design in their work um, and then the middle two which were the most uh, frequently mentioned the first one was Kai which is contextual knowledge so that's where people rely on knowledge that is um, contextual to them usually so that means like that means like um, think seeing how someone else has done something or looking at case studies and I don't mean case studies in like an academic way but um, in the what my professor calls airport literature um, you know examples of how people have tackled a sim similar problem um, and also looking at methodology methods and design now is very method driven so these are all like looking at knowledge that's been kind of concretized in a method or a case or documented that people can then go okay well I've not done that but I will use this kind of knowledge to to tackle the problem um, and then the other one which is actually the biggest one was nows um, which is from the data the kind of knowledge that is situation is is improvisation it's you know you know like a jazz band playing without music it's just kind of working um, at that level of kind of being able to be in the experience of work and move around it without relying on theory or what other people have done but improvising and coming up with your own um, way of turning things and it's really interesting that ethics was strong in that theme um, and really unlike the other types of knowing that I, I found this is really 
personal to the individual. Um, so again, going back to the Wilcox framework, this knowledge thing is not just about knowing how to do things. It's actually quite implicit to those other four factors of of, of what it is people do. And then the last one was NAC, which is basically, you know, being able to use Teams or whatever it is, um, which is, you know, quite low because things are tools are much easier to use. Um, so I went a bit more into that and you can see some of the facets and nodes so as i mentioned in nows you know it's empathy and listening being able to juggle things move around um rather than kind of following a a, a structure to solve a problem right i'll just quickly go through these last few slides because um i've I hopefully started by explaining badly how I got into occupation, which is basically a gap in the design research knowledge. And, um, and my research kind of accidentally um, moved towards occupation. And I used some of the methods, diary studies um, and experience sampling that I would use as a practitioner within doing design rather than studying work. Um, but having done that, I kind of came to this conclusion that to really do a decent job of understanding um, the structure of work from a human perspective, you need these kind of four different ways of, of, of doing things. You need the time based things around diary studies, you need experiments, which I haven't really talked about, where there's a specific topic. So those individual spotlight studies tackled specific things and did some experimentation there. And then getting this practitioner perspective, doing the work, and then also an outside view of um, observing it. Um, so all of that gave me some, I think, interesting <laughs> insights into the knowledge that uh, digital designers use um, and it also gave me some insights into the structure of work. What I ended up moving into was how to kind of flip things around. So using some of the design thinking methods um, to help people achieve better um, resilience and um, balance and these are I'll, I'll show you how how these work quickly but basically these are all kind of using design design thinking type methods to to do that um, so for example this one I'll just switch over to the mural board so you know a lot of the work now rather than it being kind of physical workshops and using sticky notes in you know, um, in a room, it's now all digital. So one of the tools that we use, I'm sure you use it as well, um, is Mural. And so what I've done is to start to use design thinking methods. So pink, blue and green is a design thinking method called Rose Thorn Bud. And it's a way of getting uh, a balanced set of feedback on something. So rose is something good, blue is something not so good and green is a you know a, a build and add to that um so in a workshop situation um i've been getting people to um anonymously so they have their own board so i can't see what they're doing but using the four um four d b bd uh framework to find out you know what is it about they're doing at the moment that's good not so good or they can improve on um, and and using that framework and the design thinking method to help them elicit on their own um, where they are and where they want to be in the future so you know I'm guessing you've seen this but you know the way it works you, everyone's got their own board and you know you can you can type in and add whatever you want um, and these I think three methods adapted design thinking methods are the ones that I've been using. There's 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 other ones. Um, just let me zoom out. So I should have maybe started with this bullseye diagram. So this is also really good at capturing, eliciting from people 
um, and I as a researcher I don't see what they're the content that they're creating uh, but it's a good way of finding out what they're what's kind of in their life at the moment um, and the centre is the most mo important and it moves out to less important um, so that's another one and then also using this kind of path building so as a structure and sequence in in using design thinking methods starting off by just kind of eliciting where people are and then using that as a basis to do um, some planning path building i've called it of where they are at the moment and moving into the future and then the last thing is 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 using some level of visualization to again to help people to um envision where they want to be um, and all of this was done in the uh diary study time so um each week this way i was talking about um collaborative analysis um was actually getting people to talk about the results as they came through and the methods um so that people could use them and just in the lot I've, I've badly kind of gone over time well not five minutes um so the so i've done this stuff around using design thinking methods to help with achieving occupational balance um sorry that was about um using uh again visualization to um map where people are and to find ways of of using physical objects to to help um and that's about how using those design thinking methods to help people visualize the becoming um quadrant of the for uh of wilcox framework so people actually start to because designers stereotypically you know uh, do 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 visioning and envisioning so using that to help people to practically plan out um how they change and who they become um in the future um the last bit just really quickly so what i found with going back to the stresses of working in agile is that um in some ways doing this kind of stuff is good but it's only really dealing with the symptoms it's dealing with people's negative experience of work and, and of agile working uh, and it's kind of helping them to get out of it but it's not really solving the situation so the last thing i've been working on is what i call these flow frameworks which um is but it's a collection of things uh frameworks some of them just within design uh some of them outside but they're all meant to help um practitioners become more empowered over the work that they're given um and this has turned into um a bit of a mini kind of course really um and some of the stuff is frameworks that i've created like this um ethics wheel one of the things that in the research was that designers for some reason in teams are the people that end up having kind of moral dilemmas about the direction of work um you know people talk about kind of dark patterns and doing things that are not good for the user or the the customer um and so some of these things have come through from the research and have been specific around the issues that i found talked about the kind of path building um sorry i also did a i i, I wanted to validate the knowing bit of this so i did but literally that was last week sorry um but this just to finish up on so this kind of more structure based set of frameworks um i've i've got to quite a good place now and the idea is that you know within teams um they can adapt these frameworks to help them um be more in control of the work that they're they're given um and again they, you know some of them i've made some of them are kind of classic design thinking stuff um but they're all based on kind of tactics of how you survive and thrive in the context of agile 
working um so like how, how, how where do you start with work um how do you make your case that the 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 work that you're doing is is the right thing to do um and how do you defend it's all slightly um not military but slightly about defense and offense for some reason at the moment but uh yeah that's it sorry that's such a whirlwind tour of my research but um there you go uh thanks for giving me the platform and opportunity to talk about it okay thank you john um I, yeah as, as i was thinking i know we had a conversation about um what occupation encompasses when you first approached me and said am i getting this right in terms of the occupational perspective and we said we we're talking about how it is more than work and productivity yeah. productivity so much more but actually it is really interesting to learn from somebody who has researched a specific work area because i guess obviously from being an occupational therapist and engaging a lot with research reading it whenever it's about work it i guess tends to be obviously more so about occupational therapy practice so it's really nice to hear about um digital design in in your case um we have some questions so do you want me yep. to go ahead and ask yep. so first of all from emma um who asked how did you find your participants were they uk based uh were you able to differentiate in ways of working between gender age managerial level can you see the questions there? Uh, i can yeah um Chat. um but i've managed to lose my placing it uh, oh yeah i know um i I recruited them through social media um, and I gave them an incentive. I didn't really do, I, I didn't like do too much sampling. Um, I wanted to just get a bit of a mixture of people. They were mainly in the UK, I think it was like 62%, um, but not, not exclusively. Um, there's people in India and Middle East. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.